Let me make sure that I am on. This morning, let's throw up that phone number. This is your number. So here's the thing. Once a quarter, roughly, I do a question and answer where I just let you guys ask me questions, and I answer them. And it's been 11 weeks since the last one. I uh, won't be able to do it next week, so we're going to do it this week. And I thought that after these sort of four sermons that we did, this would be a good week to do it because we kind of took a little sidetrack from Romans for a minute and got into sort of us as a church and who we are. And if you're a guest today, we want to welcome you. We are so glad that you're here. We are here for you. I want you to know that this is a place where you can come, where you can feel welcome, where you can feel like you're yourself. If you're married, your you're husband and wife together, family, kids, that you guys are welcome here, that we are providing a place for you because of our love for Christ and our love for you. This is a special place. Now, some of the things today might be a little bit of sort of family talk, but you're invited in on that. We don't have any secrets here. Um, Christianity is not a secret religion. It's, it's a religion for the world. And so we have, uh, we've been talking about, for those of you who haven't been here, we've been talking about what it looks like to serve, what it looks like to tithe and give regularly, what it looks like to evangelize or to, to, to share our faith about Christ with the world. We've been talking about hospitality, or a Greek word, philoxenos, which means love of the stranger, true love. We've been talking about that. We've been talking about what it looks like to reach out to the families in our community who are struggling, who are isolated, who have more uh, connection with a cell phone than they do with other people who love them and care about them, and, and doing that kind of thing. And we've been talking about sort of how to do that, how to do that on Sunday morning. So if you have questions about any of that stuff, Put them, text them right there. That's not really my phone number. That's just a Google phone number. But uh, if you text that phone number, we get those. And then Patrick does some magic. It's not magic. It's technology. And it comes up on my screen here. And I'm going to get to as many as I can. You can also, if you're a visitor, a guest, ask something about our church if you want to. And I can explain that. You can also, if you have a theological question you don't feel like it's been answered well um, before, feel free to throw that up here. If there's been anything in the last quarter or so that we've gone over, that we've taught, that you have questions about, go ahead and throw that up here. Uh, I'm going to make sure that I'm connected. And then, will you throw me a test, Patrick? Or have you already done that? Just to make sure. Another one of these smooth transitions. Uh, did you test something? Did you throw a test up? Uh-oh. Hang on, everybody. Technology. Did you get that one? No? Okay. I'm going to close this and open it back up. Sorry, I have to do this. And uh, meanwhile, I'm going to invite Aaron Bunt to come and sing a solo for us. <laughs> if, that's, if you think that'll work. Okay, yes, that's the one. That, <laughs> I think that would be more fun than what I'm about to do, so we can definitely do that. All right, I saw it, Patrick. All right, let's get into it. There's a few that got preloaded in here. Um, you guys start texting yours in here, and we'll see what we get to. Uh, the first one that got preloaded in here is, how is tithing today biblically supported? Um, and the person who suggests that, I thought, yeah, that's a good question. And here's why it's a good question. I've actually noticed lately, surprisingly, there are a number of pastors who are good Bible teachers in general who teach that tithing is not a continuing thing. 
They teach that the church today doesn't, it's not necessary. Now, I'll give you a little background on that in a second, but that's one of the things they teach. I'm gonna give you the, the quickest rundown that I can in this form, which is, it's, here's the deal. Tithing is a principle, not a law. Okay, so there was a law of Moses that was laid down, right? You had the ceremonial law, you had the judicial law, you had all this, you had the moral law, right? The moral law continues, the ceremonial stuff, uh, the sacrifice of animals stuff, we don't do that. Um, unless you're a guest, we're going to do that. No, we're not going to sacrifice any animals today. We don't, we don't do that. We don't do that anymore. That's been fulfilled by Christ. So there's a lot of the law that we don't follow anymore. And some people are saying, hey, look, tithing was part of that. It was part of the temple thing. It was part of the law, so we don't do it anymore. But the problem with that mindset, and just follow me here, is that tithing started way before the Mosaic law. We have evidence of tithing, uh, certainly with Abraham, who gives a tenth to Melchizedek, who is, if you read Hebrews, and there's a lot we could get into there, but who is a, he is the son of God, the, the, is an appearance of uh, the ancient of days, um, who, we, who is also Jesus, right? Jesus was born later, uh, but the same person, right? And so we have tithe going back from then, and Hebrews talks about how the other, the other Israelites tithe while they were in Abraham's seed, essentially. So tithing has been going on. You also, I believe, have Jacob tithing. You have, you have tithing as this ongoing principle that when God blesses, you give back 10%. That's before, that is before the law that came and said 10%, okay? And then we have it continue. You have Jesus talking to the, to the Pharisees, and he says, hey, you, you tithe, you know, your mint, your, your anise, your cumin, your, these little, they have a little herb garden, right, on the, on the roof or whatever. It's like, you're taking 10% of the mint and tithing. Don't bring your herbs, by the way, here. We don't need those in the, in the offering thing. But, they, but they're tithing all the way down to the smallest things, but they're neglecting the weightier matters of, the, matters of the law, right? Justice, mercy, love, those kinds of things. And so, but what he says is, he says, these things you should be doing, you should have done, the love, the mercy, the justice, without neglecting the former, that you also should be tithing. Okay, so this is a continuing thing. Now, to the credit of those who teach that tithing is not a continuing duty, what they would normally say is that 10% would be a minimum. That tithing was, was given to the Israelites who were hard-hearted and it was an absolute minimum. And so therefore, if you're what a lot of them call grace giving, you would give more than 10% because 10% would be, of course, the absolute minimum. So to their credit, they are suggesting that giving is more generous than that. But I do believe that tithing is a principle it's a principle that's existed for a long time in the people of God, they tithe. It's what they do. Uh, I actually have another one here that says, does the Bible say I should tithe even if I don't make much money and I'm young and not financially established? Um, yeah, yes. Uh, that you, you practice this as early as you can. My parents made me tithe on you know, my allowance when I was little. Now, we'll talk about my allowance, okay? My allowance was three dimes. Mom said, we're going to give all you kids three dimes. I don't know if she remembers this story. She's getting old. But we're going to give you kids three dimes for your allowance, right? You're going to do all these jobs, and where this is going to be your allowance, so you can start learning about money. That's how old I am. Three dimes. I'm like, oh, sweet. Um, so it's just three dimes. We got it one time. I never got the allowance again. It didn't continue. But in any case, I would have been expected to tithe out of my allowance, my first job, and so on. You just, it's a practice, it's a practice, and the younger you are, the, the, the more you should start, as young as possible. It gets a lot harder. It's like learning a language. 
It's a lot harder when you're older. Two-year-olds, they go down to Honduras and they're speaking Spanish by the time they get back. The rest of us, it's like years of studying. We can't get it down, right? So tithing is like that. You get it in you early. It's a lot harder to get it in you late. And so, yes, it doesn't matter uh, whether you make much money. Uh, the fact is, is that the widow gave everything she had. God, God can take care of you. If you're more worried about what you're going to wear and what you're going to need in paying the bills than you are about being obedient to God, that's a problem because what it says is, I don't trust you. And I can tell you that a huge part of the Christian experience, and I want you to think about this for a second, a huge part of growing in Christ and maturing is progressively trusting God more and more and more. And he's gonna hang you out over the edge of the cliff more and more and more so that you can build that trusting relationship with him. Tithing, that's way down the list. If you wanna move to the higher and higher and higher, closer and closer levels, of knowing Christ and being with him, just like you want to get to know your wife or your husband better, just like you want to have a better relationship with your friends, just like you want to, whatever, with Christ, you've got to get to that trust relationship. And tithing, it's like baptism, you know, and then, you know, putting away some of the sins of the flesh, and then tithing is like right there. These are the steps of obedience. It's just saying, I trust you. If you provided the 100% and I give you back the 10%, I'm keeping 90, by the way. Could have done it the other way. Say, give me, could have said, give it all to me. But he says, give me 10%. You trust him with that, and he shows himself faithful. That's the way that works. Okay. So, let's see what else we got. Is tithing done only to the church, or can it be done to other charities? So, this is a question I've actually heard a number of times. Getting a lot of tithing questions. Everybody get your wallet out. No, I'm just getting done. Here. Um, I would say that your 10% should be going to the local expression of the body of Christ where you attend and serve, because this is your body. This is your body. These are the people who are serving you. And I would say that additional monies to other charities on top of that. You have tithes, you have offerings, right? Tithes, that's the 10%. To me, that 10%, that goes to the local church. After that, you can talk about offerings and giving, both, both for needs that we have here and for charities out in, in the world that are doing other things. And preferably, these are Christian charities that are doing Great Commission stuff that you would be giving to outside of that. But yes, the tithe... I think the tithe's got to come into the storehouse for our family. That's where it's got to come in. Uh, now, if I, you see me with a private jet out there next week, stop tithing. Run. Okay? Um, but that's not how we roll here. And so we've got to tithe so that, we can, so that we can do what we're called to do in this body. We don't want to keep those tithes away from, from the body. And then we can do more with the rest. So that's that one. Um, how do I know I'm supposed to be here? I feel like a black sheep in the crowd. I want to give my life to Christ, but I do not know how or where to start. Well, let me tell you something. We're all black sheep. There's only one Lamb of God, and that was Jesus Christ. All of us don't fit in, and all of us have been made to fit in by Christ. And so I, I don't know who this is. I'm not, you, know, you don't have to reveal yourself. Don't, actually, don't do that. Uh, here's the thing. You, you belong here because God has called you here where you wouldn't be here. There's a reason for you to be here. As far as giving your life to Christ, that is something you can do right now. Right now, you can give your life to Christ. Uh, it is not a complicated matter. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. 
With the mouth, one confesses, right? With the heart, one believes. And that's it. If you do that, you are saved. You are going to heaven. You are going to be with the Lord forever. After that, we, the Lord calls you to obedience to get baptized and then to move forward. But you are not a black sheep. Now, there's another question I'm going to answer that might answer some of that black sheep here that I, that I saw in here. Uh, but you are not a black sheep any more than I am, any more than anybody else here is. We're all, we're all just here, broken people who Christ is transforming. And so you have the opportunity to be accepted and to be loved, okay? If there are things that make things hard for you or whatever, Christ will transform you. Have a humble heart, and he'll do that for you. But as far as being welcome and being part of what's going on here, connect with people. And I'm going to ask that whoever said that and wants to, uh, wants to give their life to Christ, that after the service today, I'm going to ask Pastor Dave, who's right back here, he's the guy who did the welcome, to be right outside those doors. He's standing right there. And anytime, uh, once we do communion and stuff, just go right out these doors, find Pastor Dave, and he's going to, te- he's going to talk to you about how to become a Christ follower. There he is. Okay. Um, Considering the conversations about celebrating, serving, and getting to know each other, where is the best place for introverts to serve at Acts Church? I would say the welcoming team. Um, (laughs) It forces you to do it. Um, Look, introversion, extroversion, those, let's define our terms here. Uh, introvert could just mean shy. Some people use the word to, to term them in that, like there's a shy person, that's an introvert, and there's a not shy person, that's an extrovert. That's really not what it is. It's more about whether you feel more energized from being around a lot of people, or it takes energy from you, right? That's, that's more what it is. And here's the thing. It's going to be easier for extroverts to come and be around everybody and get excited and whatever, but they're weird, right? They get a little weird because they're very excited. And introverts are going to be harder. The extrovert's like, What? You're not weird. You're fine. Everything's fine. Um, If you're an introvert, uh, it's going to be a little more effort for you, but there is no place that I know of in this church that is extroverts only. Um, every, Every place in this church, you can serve and you can, the Lord can grow you. I can tell you right now, I am pretty introverted in general. And the reason that I'm able to like stand up here and do this and so on is because God has given me the ability to do that. And the Holy Spirit gives me the power to do it. And I have to rely on him completely to do it. Uh, when I'm in a new crowd of people, I'm just as shy as any one of you that, that considers yourself an introvert. And has to, I have to get to the point where I can get comfortable and so on. And so introversion is a thing that the Lord can, can help you to grow in. Extroversion is a thing that the Lord can help you to, to grow into the blessings and the gifts that introverts have. We can, we can teach each other, right? Because they're both, they're both good, actually, when used properly. So there's nothing that you can't do at this church as an introvert. You may not want to be on the greeting team. If you're going to, you know, what do they say? An extroverted engineer looks at your shoes. Um, you don't want to be that. I'll let you get that right? Because they normally would look at their shoes if they're extroverted, they look at your shoes. Um, you don't want to be that guy, right? Who's out there like, I'm on the greeting team. I'm like, oh. you, know, if, you know, that's not, that's not good. Uh, so maybe not that team. Maybe you want to be a little more extroverted for that, but that's up to you. But everything else in this church, I mean, most of the people on the worship team are introverts, you know? You know how hard and how long it's taken me to get them to like literally move their body in any way? <laughs> I mean, it's just like... Uh, uh, uh. Because you guys scare them, you know, they're, uh, they're shy. And so, but they've learned 
They've grown in it, right? And that's what God does. He transforms us, and he, he equips us for what he's called us to do. He gives us the gifts. So don't worry about being introverted. Just get in there and do it. Okay, tithing, pre-tax or take-home income. Um, <laughs> who's got their 1040 with them? Let's, <laughs> it's 10% of your increase. So you, your increase is what you made. The fact that the government, that'd be like saying, do, do, I, do I tithe after all my bills are paid, right? Tax is a bill. It's a bill. It's a really, I don't like that bill at all. Okay, but it's a bill. And so my, if you're asking me, I would say you tithe on the amount that you got paid. Now, if you're asking me whether like you're a bad Christian if you go the other way, no, I'm not saying that. I, I don't, that's, there's nothing in the Bible about pre-tax or post-tax other than you tithe on your increase and what you got paid is what you got paid. Yeah, the government took their chunk. So did your health insurance. So did all these other things. You don't, you don't tithe after that, Right. And so I would say tithe on your, on your uh, gross income. But that's, you know, that's one of those things that I think that once you start tithing, you're going to want to give even beyond that. So uh, then do I tithe on my returns, <laughs> tax returns? Uh, no. If you get a tax return back and, you, and that was something you already tithed on the on the income, no, that would not be an increase in income. You already, you already tithed on that. So no, if you got a tax return, that was just money back that you already paid. And you, if you really want to get complicated, we can get into tax credits and money that you didn't make and whatever, but I'm not going to do that. No, if you've already tithed on it, you don't have to tithe again. But it'd be wonderful when you get a tax return, if you had an opportunity, that'd be a great opportunity to give to a charity. That'd be a great opportunity to find a need within the church and help out. Um, or, you know, you do what you want, but you have already tithed on that money. All right. Now I've got to, it says, read quietly first. Okay, I think this is good. We're really getting into the tithing thing. Um, my tithing is based on my relationship with the living God, the intuitive conviction on my heart that I ask for. And God is less interested in my sacrifice than my heart. How then is a mathematics percentage my language of love with him? Great question. That's a great question. And you are 100% right. It is a totally about the heart. Totally about the heart. I don't care if any of you give at the end of the day as far as I'm concerned, right? What I care about is that you are obedient to the calling that God has on you. And so you don't have to look for something that God speaks to your heart because he's actually given us a principle that he's laid down, right? He's given us a principle. Tithing is a principle since way before the law, right? You've got tithing at least at Abraham, and then going forward, it's being talked about as a principle. It's just a, it's a, it's godly economy. And so I understand that it has nothing to do with the number or the percentage or the thing. That has nothing to do with your heart. Your heart is either going to say, I am, I am submitted to the Lord or I'm not. Now, if you don't believe that God is, at, that, that, that that's true about the scripture, that it doesn't say to tithe, and you don't believe that you have to do that, let's talk about it. I have no problem talking about it. I'm not mad at you. Um, let's talk it through. But I would say that if you read through the scripture, you're going to see the principle of tithing as just an absolute principle that God has laid down so that we don't have to guess. We know. He tells us what it looks like to have the heart for him, and that's tithing. Um, and so, yeah, good question. Okay, what else do you got for me here? What does God say about being in debt and using credit, and how does that impact 
how you should tithe. Well, it doesn't impact how you should tithe at all. Tithing has nothing to do with debt or credit cards. Tithing is what you give based on your increase. So what money you make, you know, for your, from your job or from whatever, that's, that's what tithing is. As far as debt and credit card use and all the rest um, of that kind of stuff, that is a very complicated subject. There are Christians who would say you should never be in debt for anything ever. There are Christians who would say you need to be wise about debt. Okay, debt for school and debt for a home is okay, but not debt for, you know, the bottom line is we live in a society where debt is almost impossible to avoid um, unless you're going to rent forever or unless you can save up in this area, what's the average home going for? $500,000. So unless you can save all that up before you buy your first home, it's going to be tough to never have debt. Um, I think that, I'm not going to get into whether you should have debt or not. What I'm going to say is this, uh, your finances, you should be completely surrendered and trusting God for them. In other words, trusting that God's going to take care of your needs. And then you should have a, uh, some kind of, I don't say a plan, but have some sort of idea of how you're going to be able to work that out faithfully and do the things you need to do. And I can tell you, this is an area I've struggled in my whole life, planning that out well and doing that kind of thing well. It's difficult. It's difficult. First of all, life's expensive. Second of all, you can't always tell what's going to happen. And when I used to run a law firm, it was, you know, I might make this much one month and nothing the next month and stuff like that. So it's always been a difficult thing and, and trusting the Lord. But as far as debt itself and having a credit card and not having a credit card, uh, it's difficult in the United States in 2023 to not have a credit score. Um, in fact, you need it for things other than just credit. So I'm not going to get into that. I'm just going to say this. It's one of those questions where you just kind of go, well, you know, be wise. Be wise. Don't put yourself into, you know, a massive amount of debt that puts you in a position where you can't pay it and you put extra stress on your life and on your family. Do your best to avoid that. I'm not going to get Dave Ramsey on you or whatever. That works for a lot of people. His thing works for a lot of people. There are other ones. There's Crown Financial. There's, There's Christians who have put out plans for finances. Some of them are great. And if you, and if you're the kind of person who's like, hey, if I have something like that, where it's like I use the envelopes or I have a thing, that's really good for me. I'm, I'm the kind of person who's really administrative. Then do one of those because that'll keep you on track. Um, but again, this goes back to the other one. This is about your heart. This is about your heart. Um, and tithing is not affected by that at all. It's not affected by that at all. How would you talk to friends about Christ in a progressive environment? It's uh, a good question. Um, progressive, just in case you didn't know, you don't want to go where they're progressing to. Uh, the, the progressive term here is either, I'm guessing you're talking about progressive in the sense that, the, that there are prog- there's progressive economics, there's progressive social issues, but progressive social issues usually means abortion up until the time the child is born, you know, those kinds of things, right? Uh, you know, massive uh, bowing to sort of the LGBTQIA plus minus semicolon, that, that whole thing. Um, the way that you talk to those people is you, is you talk about what's true and about what's right. And here's the thing. They have a reason why they believe those things. The, the person who wants to believe, who, who thinks that you should be able to have an abortion all the way up until the baby is born, they actually think that's right. Right? They're not just like evil, like twisting their mustache saying, I want babies to die. That's, that, I mean, if you find somebody like that, just don't bother. Okay, that person needs to be in jail. What it is is they're thinking, hey, I think it's right that women should have certain choices and so on. And you can take that as a point of departure and say, hey, I'm all about what's right too. 
How do you determine what's right? And, and uh, let me tell you how I determine what's right and talk about scripture and talk about how, how God, how all the things that God has in scripture, not only does he say them, but they all make sense. They all flow from the same thing. Because what you can show people is that if you value life, you have to value all of life, right? And they're going to say, oh, yeah, I value life. In fact, a lot of those people will be like, no death penalty, but kill babies up to nine months, right? There's a lot of people who are on that spectrum. So what you do is you just point out the inconsistencies, but you let them come to it. Because remember, it's the Holy Spirit that does the work of evangelism. You just need to be faithful. So my way of dealing with somebody with extremely unbiblical views is to find the place where they're, where they're hanging their hat on what they say is right and then determine, have, have a conversation about how I determine what's right and how they determine what's right. And usually what you'll find is people who hold that kind of a worldview, they have, they have all kinds of inconsistencies in it. And you just sort of start pointing that out. And what that does, there's a guy named Greg Kokel who says, it's like putting a rock in their shoe. Right, And so then they're walking around that rocks and this. It makes them think. You don't have to do the whole thing all at once. You just got to make them think a little bit. right? And so if that's what you mean by progressive folks who believe that kind of stuff, that's how I would deal with it. Usually they won't talk to me. Um, I don't know why. All right. Are we married in the eyes of God even though there was no marriage ceremony or marriage certificate? Unless this question came from Adam and Eve, no. You're not. Um, that's not a thing. Uh, a marriage Now, the marriage certificate thing, we could argue or not argue about whether the state's thing or whatever, but a marriage ceremony is nothing more or less than getting married in the eyes of God, right? And so you do that with the people who are in spiritual leadership over you, um, if you have people in spiritual leadership over you. Uh, but it's a ceremony, and it's a, it's a thing. It was like that in Bible times. It was like that all the way back. People were being married and given to marriage. And, of course, the first marriage ceremony, God was there for, right? And so God actually presided on that one by literally, you know, making, Adam, making Eve from Adam, and, and they got married. Um, so, no, there is no such thing as uh, we, we don't need to get married because we're married in the eyes of God because that's what we've decided. That's not a thing. Um, because marriage isn't just about you, it's about any children that you have. It's about the public and their, and their connection to you and their support of you as a married couple. And so in this country and in this state, you get married and you actually get a certificate from the state and so on and that. And that is the sort of seal that you have made this commitment. As far as, that's the state. As far as the church is concerned, the seal that you have, that you have made that commitment is when you have a marriage ceremony and you have, hopefully, a pastor who cares about you and loves you bring you together in matrimony. So no, I do not believe in uh, that there is such a thing as marriage without any of that kind of stuff. Um, if, if that's, if I would say this, if you've thought that, and so whatever, whether or not, the, you know, the heart is what's important, right? But now you know. No, I do not believe that's a thing. It's never been a thing. There's nothing in scripture that would suggest that you could just sort of, you know, be married and no one, no one has recognized that marriage, right? And so we have a way of doing that. How do I give up a lifestyle I've known my whole life that is far from a Christian lifestyle with the power of the Holy Spirit? Uh, look, that's, everyone can ask that question. Every single one of us is in the process of giving up the lifestyle of sin that we were born into and grew up in. And the Lord is transforming us moment by moment. And we, we continue. I would, I'm going to guess all of you are like me, meaning that you continue to mess up. And God continues to help you. 
right? But my experience is the things that, that go the quickest and, and the easiest are the things you absolutely kill in your life that you decide that you hate. If you're an alcoholic, right, if you've got a, a pornography addiction, if you've got, you know, it, like I say, addictions are easy to do this with, but you get an anger problem, you got these kind of things, you've got to come to hate that thing. Like God hates sin. And when you can get yourself to hate that thing, you generally don't do things you hate to do, right? And so you've got to get yourself to hate it like God hates it. And one at a time, the Lord is bringing you out of those things. But lifestyles that you've been locked into, especially for your whole life, are very difficult to break and impossible to break in your own power. I do not think that you can break them in your own power. If you do, like if the unbeliever breaks a habit like that, they've generally picked up another one to make up for it. They just moved it. They didn't break it. You want to break the power of sin. There's only one that has ever come and broken the power of sin and death and shame, and that's Jesus Christ down on the cross and rising again. And so you need that resurrection power in your life through the Holy Spirit. And you need people in your life. Iron sharpens iron. Sisters sharpen sisters, and brothers sharpen brothers, and brothers sharpen sisters, sisters sharpen brothers. That's why we have life groups. That's why we connect with one another. That's why we ask for prayer on the app. That's why we ask for prayer up here. You need people in your life who are constantly encouraging you because if you get in a, in a crowd of people, all of whom are trying to be transformed in Christ, you're much more likely to also start to be transformed in Christ. If you try to do it on your own, you don't have anybody supporting you. We've talked many times about the idea of the shield wall. A soldier doesn't go out on his own. A soldier out on his own is a dead soldier. A soldier in the shield wall is protected by the people who are doing that together with them. And so you don't get out of that on your own. You get out of that in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the community of the church. Generally speaking, you have a Sunday morning connection with people, you have a life group connection with people, and then you have your organic friendships that you build up in the church, all of which are helping to support you and disciple you out of that lifestyle. But I can tell you right now, we're all, we're all trying to do that. Okay. What else do we have here? Oh, my computer. How can I show hospitality to young families if I'm far removed from that age group? Um, yeah, I think I talked about this a little bit before. Some of you are a little long in the tooth, right? <laughs> Does the people still say that? Um, just saying some of you have big teeth, okay? No, some of you are older, and so you're, you, you know, it's been a long time since there were kids in diapers running around that you, were, that you were having to deal with, unless you happen to have grandkids or whatever. Um, how you show hospitality is you use what you got. You got wisdom, right? You have time. A lot of people who are older have more time. Um, you have a heart for people. And I'm telling you right now, I don't know anything that a mother with kids would appreciate more than when you can see that she's struggling and she's got these kids and she's trying to, and you go over and just show some care. Hey, can I pick that up for you? Can I carry the diaper bag for you? Can I do what? I mean, you can do amazing things and invite them over for dinner and tell them about your life. Tell them about how hard it was for you. They're not the only ones going through it. All that kind of stuff. You're here to disciple them. So whatever age you are, you can show hospitality to whatever age the other person is. Um, and I, in fact, I think that's one of the best things we have about this church in terms of us bringing in um, and opening our doors more and more to young families is that we have the people who are older who can actually minister to and disciple them. Without that, they would just be coming in here blind, leading blind around, right? So we'll have the older people who are getting physically blind but are not that way spiritually uh, <laughs> helping lead them around. All right. 
Uh, how do I tell the person, how do I politely tell the person next to me at church that they are distracting me? This is a real thing. This is a real thing. We talked about this. We talked about hospitality and about distractions. And what I would say is I'd ask all of you who are part of Acts Church to just be willing to be informed of that and not get upset about it. So if you're sitting there clicking your teeth or you keep getting up and, and leaving and coming back or something like that or you're talking loudly, or sometimes we don't realize. Some people talk and they don't realize how loud it is that if somebody near you is like, hey, would you mind? That you would be like, oh, okay, I, I recognize what I'm doing. And uh, you wouldn't want to be distracting to people who are trying to learn the word of God. That's not something we want to be. All right, what else do we have? What do you have for young families outside of church Sunday mornings or life groups? Great question. So we have, uh, we have a couple different life groups that are taking that are taking new families with children now. We're hoping to add some more soon. Um, but what we're going to also do is we're going, to, uh, we're going to create some stuff on the app for like moms with kids that, where they can connect and set up play dates and, and get together. We probably will set up a group for moms with kids uh, that sort of happens organically but meets during the week, maybe here once we get the lobby done, which we're hoping will be done in what, John, three or four weeks done? Yeah, so we're, we're close um, and we want to give young families an opportunity to get together. We, uh, my wife is on a, uh, has seen on Facebook these moms groups, and these, these moms are just desperate for connection. They're starved for connection, and so we want to make sure we can provide that for them. So we're going to be doing more and more uh, to do that. Uh, do I get marked tardy when I show up late? So some of you know that we... that we keep attendance of you. And here's the deal. I, I can make this simple. We're instituting a new program. You're going to get a tardy slip. <laughs> On that slip, it's going to say, next week, you have to work in Axe Kids. So... <laughs> Kaylee made that joke up and told me it, and so I wanted to tell it today. So, so be here on time. Um, all right, what else do we have? Uh, what time is it, 11.15? Okay, I'll try to do at least one more. How much time should I be giving to the church? And if I'm giving my time, do I need to give financially? Great question, great question. So you have to ask yourself some things. This is important, actually. God has given you, like, layers of priority in your life. He's the first one. Your love for him, your relationship with him. And I'm talking about, I'm not talking about anything that you do right now. I'm talking about your relationship with him, your loyalty to him, your trust for him, your willingness to let him tell you what your life should look like. That's number one. Nothing comes before that. Okay? The next is if you're married, is your spouse. You notice I did not say your children. The next after the Lord is your spouse. Then your children, your home then the church, right, and then, and then the rest, right, your extended family, your other friends, your whatever. These are, this is the way that, that I look at priorities. So how much time should you be giving in church? Um, not more time than you can give and still consistently do the things you're supposed to do for your children and your wife and your personal time with the Lord. But more time than you're out throwing away to the stuff that's below that right? And so you got to kind of work that out. How much time should I give? The other part of the question, if I'm giving my time 
can, do I have to give financially? And the answer is, well, no one has to give financially. I'm not, obviously, many of us don't. I'm not, I don't even know which people do and which people don't in this church. I have a pretty good idea uh, that certain people hopefully do because, you know, they're elders and stuff. But I don't, I don't know that. Um, you're, that's a call from the Lord. I've said, I don't remember who I was talking about. I said, I would way rather that our budget shrunk in half, but I knew that everybody was giving faithfully than that we had more money. It's not the money. I know what obedience in Christ does. I know the continuing relationship that he builds with me. He's, building me. he's been building me the last couple of days in a way he hasn't in a long time in terms of making me trust him, making me be humble, making me do he, It continues to happen and happen and happen so you can be faithful. So you can be faithful. And tithing, giving, that's just, that's, like I say, it's, that's an early step in your faithfulness of the Lord. And so, no, giving your time and giving your money have nothing to do with one another. Serving the Lord is just part of being a Christ follower. And so however he calls you to do that, some of you do that by volunteering your time here on, say, a Sunday morning or whatever it may be, and, and that's great. And honestly, I think that most of you should be doing that, you know, because this is your church. You're the ones doing hospitality. Some of you, you give your time to other organizations also. Maybe you work in a soup kitchen. Maybe you uh, help with CASA or one of these other organizations helping children. or whatever. Those are all great. Those, that's part of being a Christ follower. How much time should you give? As much as you can reasonably give while making sure that you're taking care of the priorities that are above that on the line, above the church on the line. So wife, children, God, right? Children, wife, God, feels like that. Or husband, God. Not all of you have wives. Um, so that's what I would say about that. Uh, it's, it's a difficult thing to sort of figure out. And I, will, and I would encourage you, if you get yourself into a position where you start giving too much time, even to the church, you, you should back out of some of those things. You know, you have to protect your family. And I have been there, my wife and I have both been there, where we said yes, 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 and didn't say no, and ended up going blah, 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 all over the place because there's just too much. So we know what that's like. So if that's you, you, you back off some, take less on so you can take care of those duties. Well, the last thing you want to do is serve the Lord so much that you forget who the Lord is. I'm so busy, I'm so busy serving, I don't even talk to him anymore. I'm so busy serving, I haven't cracked my Bible in months. Don't be that person. C.S. Lewis talked about how he could get so caught up with proving that God exists that he forgets who God is, right? You can get lost in the work when at the end of the day, as it was said earlier, it's the heart. Have a heart for the Lord. Make sure you're spending time with the Lord or you're not gonna bring to serving what you need to bring. And make sure that after the Lord, you are taking care of your spouse. And after that, your children, your household. And then the next thing, your next obligation should be the church. Because this is where you do the Great Commission work. You know, outside of in your own home where you do that work. Your work to the world is done primarily through here. That's why we're heading to Honduras. And let me just tell you something. As we've been doing this series, and as we've been... Um, more and more sort of like, okay, we're going we're gonna to get in here and we're going to do this as a church and like we're going to get better and better at this and we're going to draw more and more people in, I have felt an extremely significant attack of the enemy. Not just on me, but on as many people in this church as I've seen. It's a, I can see it affecting attitudes. I can see, I can see that, that the enemy wants to destroy, which tells me we're on the right track here, right? Like, this church is about to start growing. This church is about to start seeing people who are unbelievers come to know Jesus Christ. And of course, the enemy doesn't want that. 
especially in this area where he has such a stronghold, but he has no stronghold over Christ. You don't need to fear any of that. You don't need to fear any of that. Christ is bigger and more powerful, but he will let us experience some of that so that we can trust him, and I trust him, and you all need to trust him. And I would say this, recognize recognize that there will be some attack, that there will be some, there will be some opposition when you're trying to evangelize. There's going to be some opposition. When you try to invite people to church, there's going to be some opposition, right? Nothing can be done to you. You're in Christ if you're a Christ follower. But, but the enemy can attack. So don't worry about it. Just pray about it and keep going forward because the attack of the enemy is the way you know you're on the right track, okay? And the Lord wants this church to be effective like he wants every single expression, local expression of his body to be effective. And you guys are going to do it. You guys are going to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray and then we'll take communion and then we will uh, head out. Father, I love you. I thank you. You are good. Or we do pray against the attack of the evil one. We do pray for strength. We do pray for the joy that you give us. And we pray that we would trust you more and more. And that when we pray to trust you more and more, and then you put us in situations to have to trust you more and more, that we would thank you for them instead of being upset about them. Lord, we love you. I pray that if anyone in here doesn't know you, Lord, that they would confess with their mouth that you are Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that you, that you were raised from the dead. That, Father, you raised your son, your only begotten son from the dead, the power of the Holy Spirit, that God, you are one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and that we can trust you. God, I pray that the answers to these questions have helped anyone who's needed help. And I pray that if you've pushed on, on us and, and, and put some conviction out there, Lord, that we would respond to it, Lord, but that we would love one another, even where we disagree, that we would serve you, even when it's hard, and that we would stay unified in you. We love you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.